Alrighty, welcome to Starting another scaling and exiting a business is hard. Figures. So why do some companies so achieve seven, down eight, and nine-figure exits entrepreneurs while others struggle to reach six figures To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than ten million dollars or currently run ten million dollar plus businesses in until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond Eight Figures. We live in a wonderful town. We live in a wonderful town. Richie Ote, what's up, Babyrish? Hey, how's it going? Hi wait, there. wait, holding it down. The studio Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters, and you guys are amazing. And we just wanted to give a big shout out to you, those who have already rated and reviewed and subscribed to the show. You've been downloading the show, listening to the show, sharing the show, uh, which is really, really appreciated. And a uh, lot of, lot of really good feedback on uh, on the episode so far. Uh, not the least of which is, uh, I think our episode with Naveen Jane is probably now going to live in infamy. Um, I don't know. You missed that one, Mary. I did, but you I did. heard about it, and I've seen stuff about it online. <laughs> did you, and did so you... Richard's handling some of the questions. <laughs> yeah, well, evidently, forward. yeah. He, uh, he basically, let's just say he was a stone's throw away from ending that interview less than five minutes in. Just, so evidently, funny. there are certain things that billionaires don't want to talk about. And uh, I guess you'll just have to listen to the episode with Naveen Jane who is a billionaire, to, uh, to hear exactly what it is that billionaires don't want to talk about. So and, there you have it. Yes, Wade. And don't bring up Fight Club. And don't bring up Fight Club, right? Exactly. All right. So, man, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge uh, a couple of very, very cool folks uh, who have rated and reviewed and subscribed to the show, um, starting with Zero Dude, X-E-R-O Dude, uh, who gave us five stars. So thank you for that, Zero Dude. Uh, he said, our show, Beyond Eight Figures, here is educational. Sure. Period. Entertaining, comma, definitely, period. <laughs> Steve Olsher knows enough about business to cut through the mythology and, hi- let's see, and hindsight bias that plague most business-related podcasts. And more importantly, he's a funny and engaging conversationalist, not someone who just asks a question and lets the interviewee take over from there. Okay, I'll take that. Thank you for that, Zero Shoes, X-E-R-O. Uh, and Delasier, real and valuable. How about that? Real <laughs> and valuable. Uh, Steve is a great host with years of experience, and the guests are really insightful and inspiring. Super high-caliber guests. I am super impressed and look forward to listening to more and more episodes. Thank you, Dallas, for that five-star review. Uh, so I guess the moral of the story is we need more Mary. <laughs> we need more Richard. <laughs> and we need more Wade. So we got to get you guys jumping in on the fun conversation here. But, yes, please, if you have not yet uh, taken a moment to rate and review and subscribe to the show, please do. Uh, and actually here in Launchland... Uh, we are giving away some prizes as well for those who rate and review and subscribe to the show. So all you have to do uh, is go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond eight with a capital B for whatever reason. Bit.ly is pretty particular about that. Uh, so B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond eight with a capital B uh, and enter that contest. And we are giving away not one, but two thousand dollar cash prizes uh, for those who rate and review and subscribe to the show. Not one, but two Tickets to the next New Media Summit, which will be in February in Florida, in Tampa, the Innisbrook Resort San there. San Diego. I know you want to. <laughs> we will come back to San Diego in the fall of 2019. No worries. <laughs> and not one, but two appearances on either Reinvention Radio or if you qualify for this show, Beyond Eight Figures. So, again, thank you guys so much for the support out of the box here. And, uh, and let's get right to it now with our guest, who we are super excited to have on because this is uh, – I got to tell you that one of the things that I that I take great pride in, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I take great pride in sharing the stories of folks that the audience, the public, doesn't know. 
You know, it's like we've heard there's so many people out there whose stories we knew. And look, I, the interview with Naveen was great. But, I mean, let's be honest. That guy's on a lot of different shows. He does interviews as part of his, his thing. But finding guests that the normal shows don't find, I take great pride in. So, you guys, you're on. Yeah, I agree with you. There's, it also gives me hope, even though I'm not into, like, manufacturing jobs. Um, but service businesses, whatever your thing is, some of these stories give you hope that you didn't have to start out with a silver spoon, that you yeah. could have started out with an idea, and it's normal to have ups and downs, mm-hmm. normal to have to borrow significant amounts of money to have to pay them back, rolling the dice on your idea. Yeah, yeah, and it's super interesting because, as you'll see here on Beyond Eight Figures, we do tap into a lot of industries that you just don't even think about in terms of being able to generate more than $10 million a year in sales and making really, really good money and so, Richie, what's just, uh, I'm going to get to Steve here in just one second, but what's kind of your take on uh, kind of the known versus the unknown in terms of our guests? Oh, I, I love where you're going with this. Well, Kelly's getting some great guests, or whoever's booking them all out. But um, A lot of them are coming to us. Yeah, if you guys I, qualify and you want to be on the show, cool. uh, obviously go to beyond8figures.com, and uh, we got an application there. You know, but, but one of the things I, I know, no matter what, you're going to keep grilling them, right? <laughs> and, Nicely. And, 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 no, of course, of Nicely. course. But... Part of the name, Beyond Eight Figures, you know me and my double entendres, part of what I love about that name is the more I'm listening in between the lines of the questions and then as we ask the questions is sometimes what takes people beyond eight figures is the intangible metrics that you can't Mm. look at, right? Right. So these people that are like they've hit rock bottom and they learn something new about themselves. Yep. And they have to try something different or they go to a whole other industry that they don't really know as much about so they don't think the way everybody else has thought in the past. So yeah. I, I, like, I like it. Sweet. Well, I'm it, it humanizes the figures. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's it, why I think that inspires people and gives them hope that, huh, maybe I could do something. Yeah. Even if it's on a smaller scale. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, our goal here is to really help you start a business if that's where you're at, to help you scale a business if, uh, if that's where you're at, or to exit a business if, uh, if, if that's where you're at. So let's find out where, uh, where our guest Steve Layton is at. And super excited to have Steve join us all the way from, uh, from the land down under. Are you, uh, are you in Australia right now, my friend? Let's try it again. How about Brisbane, that? Australia. There we go. Hey, Brisbane, Australia. Okay, sweet. Well, good, man. Really glad to have you here and appreciate you taking the time. So your company is... It's a pleasure. So you're... And just so I know what your website is, but is your company... I just want to make sure that I'm not giving out the wrong company name. What is the actual company name? Because I know the website, but I want to make sure it's of the same name. Uh, the, the group is the Leighton Group, and we've been around for many years. But I think the the business you're specifically talking about is Sofa Brands. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Yeah, and Correct. so just and as long as you put that on the table, does the Leighton Group do other things other than sofa brands? Uh, it, it, within the furniture space, yes, and we have we have done since 1990. Gotcha. Okay, so we always want to start out the show here just establishing the criteria uh, in sure. terms of uh, you know how how do you meet the criteria of what we ask for in our guests is to either have uh, you know exited a business for more than $10 million or to currently be running a business that generates sure. more than $10 million annually. So how, how do you meet that criteria? Okay, well, um, the business started in 1990. We grew it up to about an $80 million turnover um, by mid-2014, mid um, but made a very tough decision early 2015 to pivot the business model. Um, we, we 
took back ownership of our brands. Um, I think we took control of where the business was going, um, pivoted to more of an e-commerce online type of model, and we've grown it um, just over $10 million in those three and a half years. So um, it was a big change. Um, we had a very sizable business, pivoted and grew it again. So I think there's, um, you know, there's something to be learned in that. Mm -hmm. And so just, just so I'm clear, because my understanding was you guys were doing about $550 million in annual revenues. So you're saying 10 is just in that's e-commerce? That's Sofa Brands. On, that's Sofa Brands. Yeah, so I, that's Sofa Brands. But as a group, we, we, we're still doing about $50 million, yeah. As a group. Okay, I gotcha. All right, sweet. So take us back through uh, the embryonic stages here. Of I mean, is, is furniture kind of in your blood? Is this a family thing? No, it was, um, <laughs> it was, a, it was total luck. To be honest with you, I was traveling as a young man, 20, 24, um, had an opportunity in Hong Kong, uh, was transferred up there, uh, didn't even know where the place was, to be honest with you. Mm. And the timing was was spot on for China. China was just starting to really um, push uh, for, for, for the manufacturing um, business. We, we, we made contacts. We started... Um, you know, some very basic furniture back there in 1990. Um, so hold on, with, I just, let, me, let me just stop sure. here for two seconds here. So let me just make sure I'm clear on this. So you, you were sure. working for someone else and they put I, you I, there. So you, they, they put you there in terms of, hey, you're going to represent our company there in correct. in Hong Kong. So, correct, okay, correct. so you were working for another company. You landed in Hong Kong as a representative for yep. that company. And while yep. you were there, you started looking around. And you went, holy jiminy, there, there's like a huge opportunity here. Absolutely, absolutely, and it grew and it grew very quickly in the early '90s. Um, you know, it was opened up in the '80s with Deng Xiaoping making a lot of changes. Um, you know, labor costs were were, were nothing. Um, obviously, quality was an issue and technology was an issue, but that that um, something that we added value to. Um, and in 1998, I thought, well, you know, this is this is too big an opportunity, um, and went out on my own. So hold on, I just want I just want to make sure I understand this because between the years sure. of 1990 and 1998, so you you went there, you saw, hey, there's some, mm. some really awesome furniture here, and yep. and it's you know of at least as good a quality as a lot of the Italian furniture that you had seen before that they were well not not no not back then just to make clear not back then it okay. was pro, you know um, it would have been. But five percent of the quality of, of Italian or American or Australian-made furniture in those days. Okay, so very poor quality. So that's what you were going to improve upon with the low labor costs and absolutely what, what you'd learn on someone else's dime. Hey, with correct, and and that, and that, what I was what I was tending to find too was that that you know I was in China every week for, for years and years and years, and it was almost um, spooky in a way that I was I seemed to always be retracing steps of the the big american furniture guys um and it you know little me from australia following the big guys in the u.s and we were backing on to a lot of that production so it was it was a, a, a development stage but it was being driven by you guys mm -hmm. which was which was comforting from from my point of view because obviously there was faith and there was there was um you know concerted effort to actually grow that part of part of the industry so that was a comfort to me at that stage because I was still only relatively young, as you can imagine. So can I ask you a question? This is Mary. Sure. Hi, Mary. Hi. 
would you consider, okay, I always talk about seeing opportunity. At that young of an age, was that just innate within you, or was there like a billboard that said, hey, Steve, see this wonderful opportunity and act on it in this country? Or did you just like, you have the eyes of opportunity? I I think so, you know, without... um you know, without um, sounding arrogant in any way. Um, I never had any business training. I um, I was traveling, really, at that, that, that age, and it wasn't something that I'd set out to, to, to do. Um, and I, I just think it was a, an entrepreneurial thing that I had, that I saw an opportunity, enjoyed what I was doing, enjoyed the interaction with, with the, the manufacturers in China, the early days. Um, yeah, and as I said, it, it, a, a lot of... A lot of a lot of this is 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 luck, good luck, and good timing, mm-hmm. not necessarily good planning. Um, and I think uh, I think if you look at a lot of stories, that 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 what comes out of it is that it's right time, right place. Yeah. So uh, hold on, I, I just I, I have to go back here to understanding the, the first transaction. So so you're you're a guy, you're you're working under somebody else's umbrella, you're getting paid by somebody yep. else. You yep. see this opportunity. You still have your day job. I, I just need to understand the first transaction. So what did, what did you do? You, you saw these manufacturers. You were in a city where there, all these manufacturers were just prevalent. You were walking into warehouses. You were thinking, let me import, let me just export something over to Australia. Like, what was the first transaction? That's what I'm trying to get my arms around. Okay, the first transaction was um, the company that, that I was working for. We, we, we came to a mutual um, agreement that, that I would leave. Um, uh, driven, driven by myself. Obviously, I I had many contacts in Australia and New Zealand at that time, um, who were very supportive of me going on my own. Um, so the first transaction was, wow, first transaction would have been a container of sofas shipped to Auckland in New Zealand. There you go. Mm-hmm. Probably. And, probably and I know a lot of the stuff is like, <laughs> and, and I'm sure it's hard to recall, you know, a lot of this stuff, but I mean, come on, dude, you're sitting there, you're a $50 million company right now. And we got people with ideas mm. sitting here listening to the podcast. And you're like, mm. damn, how did Steve Layton do that? Right. I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. So that first container, I mean, obviously mm. you had an eye for good product. I mean, you figured sure, out, sure. You, know, that, you figured that was out part of it. Too. But but yeah. how did you like how did you finance that? Like where did the money come from to buy that first container? Did you sell the product first? Well, no. Remember that at that point, you're, you're, you're Hong Kong based, so the payment came direct from the from the buyer in Australia or New Zealand or the US straight to us in Hong Kong when it shipped. So you're actually in those days we weren't funding anything. It was just a buy sell transaction. Very simple. But you um, had to find the buyer. You had to find the buyer, but the tough thing was obviously um, finding the factories, finding the finding the manufacturers, finding the product, developing the product. Because in those days, again, there were no trade shows. Um, you know, these days, obviously, you've got you've got Singapore, Malaysia, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Dongguan, all these major furniture trade shows where you can jump on a plane, spend three days there, and buy, you know, buy whatever you want. But sure. back in those days, there, there was nothing. So. It was feet on the ground, um, shaking hands, um, uh, making relationships with the Chinese manufacturers, which relationships I'm still working with today, all these years later. Did um, you speak the language? I could, uh, I could speak. Um, we used to call it taxi talk, where you can get mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
you know, the Chinese in those days still spoke, you know, reasonably strong English in the South. Um, generally, I'd have staff from Hong Kong traveling with me. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was a challenge. Um, logistically, it was a challenge in those days because obviously the the infrastructure was non-existent. Um, it was a challenge getting to places because again, there were no high-speed trains, there were no highways. It was just, you know, in the back of a um, an old beat-up V-dub or whatever it was that back then, and, mm-hmm. and off you'd go. So you'd be in the you'd be in a car seven, eight, nine hours a day sometimes just getting to one factory. So so it was early days in a way. It was almost pioneering. So. Um, and I, sure. I, I get your question. What was it that act? You know, how did it start? It almost evolved um, into something that that probably wasn't there at that stage when we were doing that groundwork. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like um, a cart. It's the cart and the horse, though, right? So, how did yeah, you? Absolutely. Yeah, like you go there and you, and you find all this stuff, which is awesome, but you've got nobody to buy it. So you. So I, if I'm Reading between the lines, it sounds to me like you went, you found the great merchandise, you then yes. took, I don't know, probably flyers or something because the internet was in its really, really, really embryonic stages at that point. Yeah. I mean, almost it was, non-existent. It was fax back then. Right. It so, was fa- still, yeah, fax mostly. Okay. So you would fax a picture of this to potential buyers directly from China, yeah. and then they would say, sure, give me 30 of them, and, and off and run, and you went? Correct, that, and that's really how it started. And then, obviously, those those buyers would next time they came to Hong Kong or to China, they'd come and visit us. We'd take them into China to start showing them uh, a little bit more about the business, showing them what what manufacturing options we have. Uh, they would then say, "Okay, well, hey, let's start making this collection." So we would take the details and the spec of that. We'd go to one of the factories that we thought could do that, produce it, make samples, samples approved to start shipping that. So it just sort of grew organically. Um, and then you became known with other retailers. So other retailers on their next trip up to to, to, the, to China or to Hong Kong or Southeast Asia would get in contact with us, and it just grew. Mm-hmm. So so it grew from one container in uh, 1998 to shipping over 1,200 containers a month by 2012. Wow. So you can see the see a pretty um, pretty big growth, and when you and when you consider that that 90% of that volume was being shipped to Australia, which has 24 million people. So yeah, the I think that's huge for you. Obviously, if you move to other other regions. Well, exactly. If you imagine, if you took um, that same sort of percentage to the US, I think you guys are what 330 million people now. Yeah. Um, you know, that's 14 times, 15 times more. So in in comparison, that's nearly a billion dollar business. Richie, you had a, you had a so question that you're jumping on. It was pretty chair. impressive. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, 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 I'm not a billionaire, by the way. I wanted to say that just uh, <laughs> before <laughs> we started because I, I did hear the interview yesterday. <laughs> Good. So one of the questions, it sounds like reading between the lines there too, you had an mm. eight, nine-year, you were building relationships. So even though you were working for another company, it's not like you weren't talking to other furniture stores. So it's not like you started from scratch. You stayed in the same industry. So I'd imagine. Correct. Did you take over some of the accounts from the old business or? Uh, yes. That the old business exited that space. Um, and they, they choose a di- chose a different direction, which has been extremely successful as well, may I say. Um, but in, in a, in a different category. So not in, 
not in the furniture, home furnishing space. Oh, so that's a huge thing we missed, right? Yeah. You, you basically mm. became that, that fell company. In his lap. You, you, I mean, how cool yeah. is that? Yeah. Absolutely. They walked Absolutely. away from it and you were there. So you, you, you've been talking a lot about the we, and, and you've said that now on a number of occasions here. Mm. Out of the gate, though, there, there was no we, right? I mean, it was just, just you. So uh, It's who, just, just, just me, but I, I always use the, we. The euphemistic we. I got you. Yep. So, the, so yep. the first hire? When when did you hire your first employee, or was it just a commissioned salesperson? Or you know, obviously we're talking now. We, we've got the start part of the mm. uh, business. I think we're fairly clear on that. Let's let's move to the scale part sure. of the equation then here. So the the first hire that seems to be a a big leap for so many people. Who was your first hire? Did you did you pay them out of profits? Were they just a commissioned salesperson? Uh, take no. us through take us through that. Sure. Sure. Yes. So the first hire was in Hong Kong in 1998. So we, um, so so I put in just a basic office staff. Obviously, we had um, uh, a, a, sh- a shipping person who handled all the logistics and the paperwork for the export. We had a, um, I had a PA who who was you know handling all my travel and various other things. But the focus we spent most of our money on quality control. So even back in 1998, we had four quality control inspectors who were based in China. So they were all over every single facet of the production, even from selecting the raw materials right through to finished product. So that was, I think that's, that, that was something that, that really held my business in good stead was focusing on quality from an early day, from the early days. It's almost like e-commerce where, the, the most important thing is, well, the three most important things are customer service, customer service, customer service. Um, back in those days, I felt that quality and keeping a tight rein on quality was probably the the, folk, the biggest focus. And I don't think many other people in that industry did. Uh, and I think that sort of set the tone for the next 20 years. Um, going back to the hire, we then put on full-time staff in Australia um, based in Brisbane to handle marketing um, because obviously I couldn't be everywhere at once. So, so I had some key salespeople who again were fully employed um, who would go and see the retailers in each, each, you know, I'm sure, you know, we've got, so we've got hold on, state, different to, states here. So yep, yeah, I just want to make sure I understand. So where, where were you at revenue wise at that point? I mean, obviously you were in, and ostensibly you were a middleman, right? I mean, so you were, a, you correct. Were, yeah. We didn't, we didn't own any, any manufacturing. We, we were we were basically trading so we were, we were product developing buying and then selling so what what was your what was your margin then and what are your margins now uh, okay that's a good that's a great question great question um uh back then uh revenues again just by you know it might be slightly out by but by about 2000 we were just short of 10 million um but our margins were anything between 15 and 25 percent mm-hmm. mm-hmm. by the time by the time we got up to 70 80 million our margins were probably two percent oh wow so yeah absolutely so it way down way down correct and, and well, that's e-commerce one of the e-commerce has got you got some heavy duty logistics shipping a couch around right i mean i'd imagine yeah because so just just taking one step back that was before we pivoted back in 2015 and that was one of the reasons we chose to pivot because we were turning over a hell of a lot of money, but that margin was just being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And that's 
something I wanted to talk about today if you guys were interested because yeah, it's definitely. sort of been that race to the bottom in the furniture industry. And the, and the U.S. is the same. The yeah. U.S. is exactly the same where it's just been so price-driven that everybody in the supply chain is getting squeezed and squeezed, and there is actually really not, not much money in it for anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was our reason. That was my reason to say, okay, you know, th- th- this model has changed that there is a there is a better way to do this and that's when we pivoted we took back control of our brands and took control of exactly the more we took more control of the front end how and where and when we sold our product so yeah, that was the pivot but you got to be honest i mean you're in reality is you're part yeah. of the problem i mean let, let's be honest here right i mean that's oh, that because that's the absolutely. beautiful thing about going to china and and sourcing it for for you know what is a fraction of the cost like you say i mean the furniture that you guys create now is just this beautiful compare. I mean, it compares to the Italian higher end products. I mean, it's really, really well made, but Absolutely. reality is you took the margin out of that. You guys did that. So we, we, we it, have to blame. right. Absolutely. And and as we others came in, they're like, well, you know, forget this noise. Layton's working on 12%. We're going to do it for 6%. You That's know? exactly right. And That's so exactly right. Well, yeah. And plus I don't, where, where our radio station is, we're smack dab in the middle, probably the most furniture manufacturers there are. Yeah, anywhere. it's Furniture Row. And uh, yeah, li- yeah, yeah, it's literally yeah. called Furniture Row. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's funny because, as you were saying that, I've I've never really seen another industry that perpetually like for nine years they're having a going out of business sale. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like the, the cutting things half price, and <laughs> in the, uh, you know I happen to do e-commerce too, and. I jokingly say, if you don't control the brand, well, not jokingly, I say all the time, if you don't control the brand, the actual brand itself and the quality, Absolutely. and you're literally just a race to the bottom because Walmart and Amazon and all these other people are just going to get ass every yeah. time. Mm-hmm. You're spot, mm-hmm. spot on. That, that is, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It, it's, it's about now controlling your brand, and it's almost a race back up to the middle somewhere because mm-hmm. it's not sustainable. It's almost become a... a, a a business and industry that's disposable. Yeah. Now, so, and, and take us that, through just one more time. Sit. I just want yeah, to understand sure. the, the pivot one more time, because I think that may have sure. gone over. I know it went over my head. Maybe it's gone over other people's heads here. Okay. So, okay. so you had a really, okay. you know, a burgeoning business. You're doing really, really well, but you said 2015 yep. seemed to be a pivotal, pivotal year for you. Yeah, T- so take us back through that. Yeah, sure. And we still do have a, a um, part of that business is part of the $50 million turnover. So it's still a successful business, but we decided to, um, uh, again, it became to a point where we were shipping so much, so many containers per month, but when you're only making probably a GP of 2%, it doesn't take much for something to go wrong in a, a factory in just outside of Shanghai and you've got a claim for 2,000 faulty units that have somehow slipped by your QC and all of a sudden that yeah. that claim um, cancels out any profit that you've made for the last six months. So it became, or it someone doesn't like, pay a bill, you know, if you give correct. somebody, if you give somebody that, terms and correct, and you're that happened on 2%. two or th- yeah, that happened two or three times. And so it's almost like rolling the dice when, when you're turning that sort of money over and making such a small margin. So we said, look, let's, let's walk away in a good way from the majority of that business. Let's take control back control of our brands, which is, Sofa brands, we have Nicoletti Home, we have Calir Italia, we have Balducci. So we have some very famous brands. Um, and we said, okay, exactly what you guys said earlier, that we, we took back control of the brands. We raised prices, we raised margins, but we more importantly, we, we 
we reduced volume. So we actually took back control of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that was the pivot. So we, we started selling things online. We, we, we moved more towards custom-made, made-to-order product. Um, and, we, we, and the big thing that we did was we connected the Italian manufacturers that we'd known for years with the Chinese retailers. And part of our deal was we got the production rights for those brands in China. So that was all part of the pivot over the last three years mm -hmm. to a point now where, um, you know, I can see the business exceeding what we were doing back in 2013, 2014 within the next, well, two to three years. Yeah. And, we, and with much better margins, I would think as well. Absolutely. And that's the key because, you know, at 2%, you bet your best just to put your money in the bank. Did you see it? Did, Too much risk. Did it eventually start to go both ways? Like I noticed on your site, you sure. have um, made in Italy did you start to actually sell that product back to the people in China too? Yes, that's exactly what we did. And we, and we signed the, um, the uh, distribution deal back in April at the Milan show. So we've done a deal with the Calia Italia, Italia um, brand to distribute their product through 3,000 retail stores in China. Hmm. So it's significant. Um, and, and obviously, we get we get that um, China production rights for the brand, and then we can export that brand around the world. So that's what we're in the process of doing now. So, so, um, so that was all part of the pivot. So, outside of the Italian designers, I don't know if this is a stupid question. Sure. Who, in the very beginning, managed the design of your products? It's again, it's I know it sounds it sounds um, weird, but it was generally driven by myself. Mm. Um, you know, you'd look at what um, you guys were doing in the States, you'd look at what, you know, Rooms to Go were doing, you'd look at, um, you know, what the big department stores were doing. I'd look at the retailers in Australia, I'd look at the retailers in the UK, and you got a feel for um, design. The, you know, and the trends. The, um, correct, trends. You know, back then, it was generally any colour, as long as it's black, <laughs> coming mm. out of Asia. Mm -hmm. It was like the, the old Henry Ford days. You, you, you couldn't really supply anything else at that stage. Mm -hmm. um, but you'd get, a, you'd get an eye for whether the, the market wanted a round arm or a square arm or a high back or a low back or a traditional type of feel. And, you, know, you guys were very traditional for many, many years. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the European side was more contemporary. Australia was, was a cross between the both. Um, so you got a feel for that from seeing... Um, what was in production at certain factories. And again, going back to, you know, I was almost following a lot of the big guys from the US, seeing what they were doing and and, and often just backing onto the production there. So, um, And some of was, them didn't change, like Ethan Allen's Ethan Allen. Uh, that's been the same for, for, and for Roche years Bois's and years and years. Yeah, absolutely. I don't buy furniture um, from places where I can't even pronounce their name. So that's, yeah. uh, you know, but let me, let me ask you this. So right now, how many, how yeah. many employees do you have full time? Full time, we have about 52. Um, and that's in, that's in Australia, New Zealand, so Hong Kong, it, China. And is that across all the Leighton Group brands or is that it just is. for, it no, is. that's it. That's across all the, the group, yes. And so the, so the metric that you try to hold to is, is it about a million dollars Per employee, is that where you want to be? Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at a lot of, um, if you do look at a lot of businesses, it does tend to fall into that ratio. Um, wow. Whether that's again good luck or 
or good planning, but mm-hmm. we seem to we, we seem to um, do very well on that. Bearing in mind that that um, a, a large percentage of those employees are China based, so obviously the the wage costs are, are less than they would be if they were based in Australia or the US. Mm-hmm. And so at this at this juncture, you're so as are there partners in this? Have you taken in any outside capital? Is this all? Bootstrap, self-funded. Just give us an understanding of the organizational structure. Um, it's all been self-funded up to a point. Um, we, uh, sorry, I've taken on um, a, a couple of key partners up in Hong Kong and China purely because um, it, it, it needs to be really hands-on, obviously. Um, and the two partners that I brought brought into the Leighton Group have have very specific abilities mm-hmm. um, in in product design and product development and production. Mm-hmm. And again, as this this industry becomes more mature, you, 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 your focus has to be on obviously product development, mm-hmm. quality, you- which never, never changes, and production and getting efficiencies with the factories in China. So, so they're how, with the three focuses. So, and how much of it do you own then currently? Is it a third, a third, a third, or do you? No, have, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, it, as a whole, I'm probably about 80%. Gotcha. Do you do you have a sense of what EBITDA will be in 2018? For the group or for the or for, for just so for brands? Now let's let's look at it from a group perspective. The group uh, REBIT should should be somewhere around about uh, between three and a half and four million approximately. Mm-hmm. And do you? Yeah, do you, we, we sit at about eight percent. Do you take a salary or do you pay out of just uh, out of net when all said and done? Um, yeah, we have. You know, reasonably um, uh, a, a reasonably complex corporate structure. Obviously, with the with the different businesses in different countries, and you know, there are um, with respect. I don't want to go too much into sure. that, but um, yeah, of, co- of course, I draw a, a salary down in Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, um, but yeah, there are because of the different different um, territories that we actually have businesses in, and there are a lot of you know tax implications from from various countries so we you know we, we everything's by the letter of the law but it's quite a complex structure to make sure that we um you know everything's efficient yeah no i'm, I'm sure that mm. it is so let me let me just kind of have you take a, a look back now on things in terms of mistakes uh, talk about some of the mistakes that you think you've made along the way here that uh you know if sure. you had a chance to kind of put yourself back in that position you would have made that left turn instead of the right uh, sure. well, I think the main the main mistake I made was probably not identifying how strong e-commerce was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at if you look at the really successful e-commerce companies within my space, they sort of um, started probably around about two thousand and two, two thousand and three. Um, now at that stage, I would never have dreamed that you could sell a bit of furniture online. Sure. So we definitely missed we definitely missed the boat on that because if you look at um, I'll give you some examples over there look at Casper for example I'm sure you guys are familiar with Casper yeah so that's or, uh, if you guys aren't familiar that would be the mattress company yeah mattress in a box yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah um, you know what a great idea um, you know it's it's totally changed the industry yeah it's a, um, it's a great idea unless you're a landfill <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, then you don't hey, think it's such, or maybe you do if you get true. paid by what goes into the landfill but yeah right i yeah, mean mattress yeah. in a box this thing kind of blows up when it gets there really changed Correct. how mattresses i mean talk about dismantling the 
status quo, which is a lot of what we talk about on reinvention radio. Well, the, I mean, the, the idea of getting a mattress yeah. in a box, come on, you know, that, that opens up and expands and is made out of foam, and, you know, and all that stuff, right? So, it, yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. And so, went, went from zero, zero to $100 million in 12 months. Yeah. Name, a, name a business that, that could, could ever do that. That, that is just revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and it is now doing $350 million five years later. So, so what did you learn from that? Um, that on, you know, yeah, we, we, we missed the boat. Um, we should have been one of the pioneers down our end of the world in that space. We didn't. We tried to get into that space too late. Um, and by then, you know, the market's saturated and generally the guys that, that start retain, you know, 60, 65% of the market anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably the biggest mistake I've made. You know, you, you make small mistakes on the way because you're, you're learning. But um, mm-hmm. it, it, as, long, as long as you learn from the mistakes, that's the key. You know, it's, uh, it's, I think it's the guy, people that fail are, um, are guys that have actually tried. So, um, you know, as long as you learn from that. To, to that point, what is a mistake that you made that you thought was a mistake that ended up being your post-it the, note? Yeah, the, the <laughs> thing that made everything move forward even faster. Okay, um, this this would be uh, we we committed to a um, a material, believe it or not, back in well, when was it nine, uh, 2009 maybe? Um, it was a new material that was being produced. It was called bonded leather. Mm. Now, it, we were one of the first worldwide to actually come across the factory that produced that material, and, and we we put together a collection of furniture. We presented it to one of the biggest retailers here in Australia, and they actually took it up, and it became a, a huge, huge category. I'm talking probably $11, $12 million in this one collection, in this one material, but I was – being told by everyone you can't do this because no one's going to buy it because it's not leather. But it became huge. So I actually thought that we probably um, made a misjudgment, but it was a huge success. Um, and I think if you look back over the last six, seven, eight years, even in the US, there was a time when bonded leather was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we were one of the first to do that. And it was a bit of a risk, but mistake i thought it could be but we we actually saw it through and it became a huge success mm-hmm. so what what is next i mean as you talk about the the future of the Leighton group mm. and sofa brands and, and so on and, and mm. well being the majority owner i don't think you need that much input from from your partners but i'm sure you've talked with them about this is there an exit strategy around this um uh, yeah the, again um Interesting to discuss that because that there there is an exit. Can you exit from this? I, we can. We can. How we've pivoted now, we can because we've taken back control of our brands. So all our IP, all our front end. Where before, when you even though you're turning over a hell of a lot of money, you you're really only buying and selling. Mm-hmm. So your your business, where's your business value? It's based on your on your having a relationship with your customer and it's based on having a relationship with your factory, but you actually don't own anything. You don't own any IP. You don't own any branding. Mm -hmm. So there's really nothing to sell. But since the pivot, obviously all the IP that we have and and the business models that we're actually growing, Sofa Brand being one of them, um, it's going to have a real value. Obviously there's, there's huge upside on margins. There's huge upsides on average transaction values now as we, as we're racing back up to the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and obviously having the exclusive production and distribution rights on the two big Italian brands, um, it has value now. It has its, has a significant value based on, on y- your IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, when you're buying and selling, even though you're doing huge volume, but you probably didn't have. And, and just so folks are clear on this, when you're talking about IP, in this case, you're talking about the brand Calia, the, the, the brand Nicoletti. You just mean in terms of the branded merchandise, so to speak, correct? Or, or are you talking about something cool. else? No, 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 the brand, the, the brand, the branded merchandise, and obviously the supply chain that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So that supply chain can't be accessed by anyone, any random buyer jumping on a plane, going to a trade show and buying it. So, so is a hundred is a hundred percent of what you sell right now under the Calia or Nicoletti brands? Uh, it it uh, no, it's about sixty percent at the moment. But I would I would see it getting to about ninety percent. Because that, that's definitely going to be our focus. About 90%. And then mm. in terms of your industry, your vertical, is it based on a, a gross multiple? Is it based on EBITDA? Like how – because the furniture industry, as you said, I mean without – well, without the branding, it's just a, it's a zero-sum game. But with the branding, how do you determine a valuation on this? So you're a $50 million company. What, As you sit here today, what valuation number would you throw on this if you went out and raised money? Uh, okay, well, in Australia at the moment, you, we're, um, you, you know, there's a lot of a lot of action in the in the in the private equity VC market. There's a lot lot of funds in Australia. Sure. Um, so the, at at the moment, there, there there's two ways of valuing. Um, one is is certain certain businesses get, are getting twice revenue, two times revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, it's valued on on EBITDA. Um, and on, in certain businesses, you're getting up to certainly online e-commerce businesses. You're getting between eighteen and twenty-five times. And so, again, just if I heard you correctly, we were at fifty in terms of gross. We were at three-ish in terms of of EBITDA, something of that nature. Correct. So, Correct. So, we're, so we're at about one point two, one point three off of gross in terms of the the current valuation. If we're if we're if we're either way, it's a you know it's going to work out to about sixty. 70 million somewhere in there, which Correct. do you ever sit back and you think, Jiminy, I'm working my tail off to do 50 million on a 60, 70 million dollar valuation, right? And maybe there are other opportunities for you that could provide a bigger payday or you just love what you're doing. It's, it's something I've done for, uh, well, ne- for 28 years. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's in my blood. I enjoy it. But, yeah. but you know, I'm f- 51 years of age now and um, I'm certainly looking at, um, an exit over the next three to five for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And now that we do have, uh, again, going back to trolling the IP and we actually have something of value, um, I'll, I'll, I'm certainly looking at that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Absolutely. the good news is you've got no debt on the books. And so, I mean, if we're talking about a, a gross rate multiple here, then, I mean, geez, at the end of the day here, that's pretty much just all, well, coming into your pocket, no? Absolutely, yeah. We don't have any any bank debt. Um, as I said, it's it's a very clean business. We have a good, strong balance sheet. Yeah, you um, should be happier, man. Like that's a, that's a good no, thing, I'm, right? So I was going to apologize. <laughs> sorry, but I'm full of the flu. So oh, I, I, I man. might sound a bit. Um, uh, so, but I'm full of the flu, so I'm trying my best. But um, I am smiling this end of the this, yeah. this end of the phone, believe. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, still. Coming on with us, uh, I, I never can get this international clock thing right. Is it is it very very late where you are right now, or very very early where you are right it, now? It was very very early, quarter to five in the morning. 
Is it really? We're, we're not dialed in yet. So oh, man. Well, thank you. Now? Oh, let him go back so, to sleep. I know, right? Jiminy, thank you for uh, for fighting through the, the flu in the early morning hours to, to be with us as I berate you here on questions. So thanks for No, your... it was a pleasure, guys. It, was, it really was. And, yeah. um, well, I want to make a time. comment. Remember, you had said, sure. well, maybe it's when I said, did you see opportunity at 24? Um, or whatever you go, well, I don't want to be arrogant, but yeah, basically, I just saw it. You're not arrogant. You're just super smart. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. Thanks, Mary. Yeah, man. So um, as you as you obviously look then to to build the brand, I just I, I have to ask this question though because I know this is mm-hmm. relative to like here in in the states with marijuana uh, becoming mm-hmm. legal in in so many of the states on a recreational mm-hmm. level and will probably be legalized uh, on a national level like they're doing in Canada here very very soon. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a it's an interesting analogy, but reality is, you know, for those who smoke like myself. Yeah, not necessarily a whole lot of brand loyalty there. I mean, you know, a good good strain is a good strain, and kind of move from one to the other. Do in this case, does brand like do people know Kalia and, and Nicoletti? Like, in other words, is there an opportunity there to really build a brand in furniture that people know? Uh, yes, um, for sure. These these brands have been around for um, well in Italy for seventy years. So there's that there's a tremendous amount of heritage and design and, and content that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, obviously, the, the brands, if you walked up to the average consumer in Australia, no one would have heard of those brands. But it's it's really now my focus and my job to get those brands into the public arena and really grow brand awareness um, mm-hmm. because that's where the business has to go in Australia. Um, if, you, if you look at the discount, retail stores they're probably making an EBIT, EBITDA of 4% mm. if you look at the mm-hmm. retailers that are actually selling up and creating brands that their EBITDAs are uh, probably around about 16-17% sure. so you don't have to be a rocket scientist to actually realise that that's where you need to be or at least somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. um, so that's where the race to the bottom we're out of that, we're looking at, at, at bringing that starting the race back up to the middle and, and hopefully get back up to the top again at some stage. Yeah, and I would venture to guess that a, a fairly large piece of that puzzle is expansion to additional markets, correct? I mean, you, you, you've obviously done really, really well in Australia. I know you've started to, to tap into to the States and to Europe a little bit, but right yep. now, the, what, what's the breakdown in terms, of, uh, in terms of revenue? What is being conducted in... Australia versus the other international markets, percentage-wise. Uh, yeah, we're still uh, at least eighty percent in Australia, yeah. um, which has obviously been our focus. But we, with a lot of the brands now, we're certainly going to be looking at, um, it, it, you know, expanding that um, that offshore sales uh, more. That's definitely going to be a focus. Um, one of the focuses with the sofa brands business, if I, if you don't mind, I can quickly sure. touch on yeah. is. Um, we're going to be the first to go to market with a full custom-made, made-to-order um, business model, so that we, so anyone can order a, a genuine Italian-made leather sofa in any color, any design, any configuration, uh, mm-hmm. to- totally authenticated, um, personalized, shipped direct, and delivered white glove to your door in 12 weeks. Mm. So it's almost like going to a car dealer and ordering a special vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that that model is starting in Australia in about eight weeks, and we're actually looking at licensing that e-commerce made-to-order model in different countries. Mm. So we already have a company in Hong Kong who wants to take the license there. We already have one in Malaysia and Singapore who wants to. We have one in New Zealand. Um, and so we're potentially going to be either doing that ourselves in the U.S. or looking at licensing it. There you go, Richie. You, yeah. you, your entree into the furniture world. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't want to derail it, but I'll uh, figure a way to get via Kelly how to get a hold of you. Yeah. I'm sure, chomping please, at the bit want, looking please, at your stores here. To, please eh. do. Yeah, man. Please do. So we're going we're gonna to let you jump here really, really soon. But Mary, any, uh, any last questions for, uh, for Steve here before we let him jump? Well, when you were just saying about this custom opportunity for people, are you sure. targeting um, – Interior designers, or is that too micro? No, no. It, uh, it, as, as I said, we could. Yeah, yeah we, it could be hotel contract designers um, and and consumer because there's mm-hmm. there's literally thousands of designs. Uh, there's three hundred leather colors, and you can do any configuration. Um, and the beauty of the model is that for people who maybe necessarily can't afford the perfect suite or collection straight off, they can actually add to that collection over time because in Italy we keep all the details of the actual production, who made the suite on the production line, what the, the batch of leather was so that we can then match add-on pieces down the track. So someone could come back to us in two years and say, hey, we can we now want to put a, a love seat into that collection and we can – custom make that for them in exactly the same stitching, the same leather hide, same color so it matches exactly and then ship that to them as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's the opposite of the disposable type model where you, you, you use your, your lounge suite for two years and you throw it away and buy a new one. Why not go back to like it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago where you actually add to your collection over time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, some- and it's full life, lifetime warranties. 10-year warranties on foam and, and fabric. So it's it's a once-in-a-lifetime purchase that you add to. Yeah, and there are some people that, oh, it's going to take 12 weeks to arrive. So that makes me even more important on this, you know. Mm-hmm. They but, like that. They could, at the same time, it's part of the story. To add to what you're saying, Mary, have you shopped for a couch lately? It takes you sometimes 12 weeks to find the damn couch you want. <laughs> yeah, right. so, like, Co- the, the correct. F- and then sometimes even when you find the one you want, you've still got to wait another 12 to get it. Yeah. It's, so a, it's a beautiful it's, model. Well, let's uh, yeah. let, let's do this, man. Thanks we're gonna lot, Steve. we're gonna let you get back to uh, to bed and sleeping it off because uh, we know you rally to do this so early in the morning, not feeling you know 100. percent So, really do no appreciate problem. you joining us here on Beyond Eight Figures. If people want more information uh, about everything that you are up to in the world of Layton Group and Kalia Nicoletti, uh, I assume sofabrands.com.au is the best place for them to go. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So sofabrands.com.au. And, you know, Steve, honestly, man, uh, just huge kudos and congratulations for, for staying the course to do anything for 28 years uh, is pretty darn impressive, let alone to be in business in the same business for 28 years. I mean, there's there's so much that we can learn from you and I uh, really do appreciate you sharing your brilliance here with us on Beyond Eight Figures. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Thanks, All right. So, wow. Uh, I mean, you talk about, and this is what I'm saying, you know, we, we cover a lot of different worlds, a lot of different industries here uh, on Beyond Eight Figures, and who would have thunk, I mean, I, I certainly didn't think that the margins were as small as they were in furniture land. I mean, who wants to work on two, three, or four percent? That's insane. Yeah, but insane. you look at some of these, 
brands out there that you can see because they're like, you can get this full sectional for $912. You're like, you know, mm-hmm. where is the margin in that? Mm-hmm. But this guy is like Midas Touch. Yeah. Well, now he's taking it in. Now he's taking it back to getting out of that commodity-driven game of competing on price and going the branding direction through Kalia and Nicoletti. And, I mean, there's a lot to be said. And, and, and I use the, you know, the marijuana analogy there. But I will say this, that there are brands you know, that certainly do have more name recognition than others. And, others, and there are people who do care. I mean, it's obviously a pretty crappy analogy. But you get the point that, in this case, right. a sofa is not always a sofa. And this is something that you can apply almost to any business when you when you come right down to it. So a lot to be learned there. Richie, any uh, any final thoughts around this? <laughs> no, I know you're an e-commerce it, you know well, geek oh, in the whole nine. There's man, so, so many things. Um, try I mean, packing a sofa in a box. Well, shipping I, that, that bad boy it's, out. It's so funny because that's where I, that's where I thought you were going <laughs> with the marijuana stuff. I was like, ah, oh, you can m- increase your margin by uh, yeah. sticking stuff in the sofa. But um, or that <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. But. Um, no, it's it's brilliant. I mean, I'm looking at the pictures on his side. And Beautiful. Yeah, it's it's just the style with you know. Let's do it with this hard, gr- you know, granite bricks and all this other stuff with this soft, yeah. nice, comfy. Fur. It just makes it even pop even more. Yeah. Um, Knows his stuff for sure. But yeah, at the same time, it's even a bit like a CVS. I'm joking. It's nothing like a CVS, but you know, you go into a CVS and you get lost in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm looking at this, you literally get lost in the website. I, I'm, I just so many options, find so a many. place to actually buy it. So this guy is, if he's doing mm. this good and there's so many other things that he might even be able to improve upon, he's yeah. going to crush it. Yeah. And you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term in terms of uh, EBITDA, what, what that would be is earnings before interest and taxes and depreciation and amortization. And that's one of the ways that people value businesses is what drops to the lo- to the bottom line there before, uh, you know, EBITDA, right? So they just look it up. It's, uh, it's one of those business terms you should be familiar with, but a uh, really interesting story. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad that he got to some of the more granular details of how he started the business and how he was able to scale and how potentially he'll be able to exit in at what multiple moving forward. So, all right, my friends, we will talk to you next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. From Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, I am Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you guys really, really soon. Take care. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyondeightfigures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.